Are you ready to manage your work and personal world better to live a fulfilling, productive life? Then you've come to the right place. Productivity Cast, the weekly show about all things productivity. Here are your hosts, Ray Sidney Smith and Augusto Pinaud, with Francis Wade and Art Gelwicks. Welcome, one and all, to Productivity Cast, the weekly show about all things personal productivity. I'm Ray Sidney Smith. I'm Francis Wade. And I'm Art Gelwicks. And welcome, everybody, to this episode of Productivity Cast, where we will be discussing the topic that is quite complicated in, in terms of management and physical layout and so on and so forth. It's the idea of open office spaces and whether or not they're productivity enablers or disablers. And this topic came up because I came across several articles from the gentleman who started the company Basecamp formerly 37 Signals. And on their Medium blog, they have been writing about the idea of open office plans, open office, uh, open plan offices, and whether or not they're good or bad for staff generally, but more importantly for us here today, is about productivity, how productive are employees in an open office plan environment. And there are pros and cons to both sides, and I wanted us to have a discussion about that topic today. So let's let's kind of start off with each of our perspectives on the open office space design concept and what our various experiences have been in them. I have been painfully clear over the years, I am not an advocate fan or otherwise um, endorser of the open office movement. I don't think it's a good design. I don't think it's practical. And I think the rationale used to justify it does not hold the proverbial water. That said, there are reasons why you could have collaborative workspaces, which is a different thing entirely. But the idea of taking your entire staff and putting it, putting them basically in a giant warehouse style room, uh, no walls, no isolation, no opportunity to focus, no privacy just to me completely flies in the face of how people think, how people operate, and how people basically spend one third of their lives because they're spending them at work. If I sort of look back at my own experience, I've never had the the pain of suffering in an open office environment. I've only really worked for extended periods in sort of a private office environment. So I think I've been lucky and I've escaped the bullet because I've seen clients in these environments suffering and just unable to get anything done because they're so so distracting on all levels. And the kind of work that should be their best work comes from staying at home or hiding in the, hiding in, in the closet or staying in their car. Or they, they actively try to escape their environment and do the best work. But I've been lucky so far. Yeah, open offices really lend themselves to this idea of management by walking around, which is, to me, again, drives me bonkers. Because anybody who's working in these environments usually winds up trying to do one of two things. They either go hijack a conference room to try and get something done, or if they have the opportunity, they disappear to someplace else in the building or even stay home and do the work. So this should be a screaming red flag to anybody who's setting up and implementing these kind of spaces that, you know what, this just doesn't work. This, this concept of come in here, everybody, I worked in, I've worked in several open office plan environments. Um, some more open 
if that makes any sense, than others. Uh, I've, I've been in ones where literally there are no walls, just monitors on desks, and everybody's basically looking at everybody else. That will drive you bonkers. And you think about trying to get any sort of focused work done in that environment. And the most important thing becomes, where are my headphones? Why? Because I need to create artificial focus because they've taken away all the opportunity for me to have real focus. I, like you, Francis, I have never, thankfully, had to work in an environment that was, that was you know, of the open office layout. That being said, today, I spend a lot of time working on the road where I might be in co-working spaces or other kinds of open spaces like a cafe where there are a lot of things going on around me and there are no walls uh, for privacy and that kind of thing. So I'm probably going to take a little bit of the middle ground here today with regard to how office design should really be thought through, which I think that there's likely a hybrid. I think my my argument today with you both is going to be, is there is there a middle ground where we can have open spaces that facilitate collaboration, facilitate the kind of interactivity that we want, potentially reducing cost? Because let's be honest, a lot of what drove the open office design plan was the fact that the build out for it was so dramatically easy in the sense that you got a floor in a building and you threw a bunch of desks and chairs in them. And for all of the the people out there who make the argument that there was more space design than that uh, in terms of flow and so on and so forth, I'm sorry, I just don't buy it. I think that there was a there was a clear understanding that if we could not have to buy cubicle dividers, if we didn't have to build offices, there were, there was going to be a huge real estate benefit to that. That is reducing the the overhead uh, and the cost of having to do that build out, and it became popular for at least partially because of that. On the other side to that, though, is I've seen several co working spaces now that have provided a mixture open space design with these kinds of conference rooms and other closed space designs that give both options to people when they need to work in in a closed setting where they need privacy and then in an open collaborative setting when they want to work and kind of have a little bit of ambient noise around them while they're doing that. There's also a lot of really great technology. A, a friend of mine works at an accounting firm and or it's a consulting firm that does a lot of accounting. I'm not quite ever sure what that means. But uh, <laughs> uh, the idea uh, um, b- behind their open office design is that they use technology. They use noise canceling technology that is embedded above all of the desks. And so if I'm sitting next to you, Art, and then next to you, Francis, if I'm talking at my desk to you and you're standing next to me, you can hear me. If you step about two feet outside of my desk zone, you can no longer hear me because the acoustics are designed with the technology in, in, you know implemented such that there's constant noise canceling happening around my desk and every desk in the space. It is very, very cool technology, and I can see that being potentially useful in that environment. Still doesn't reduce the visual distractions and potential stress that comes with constantly seeing stimuli. But at least from a sound perspective, that's pretty cool. That's really cool technology, but it's also really rare technology. 
and it's also really expensive. Oh, no, no question. No question that it's not only going to not be not proliferate among all offices. And it's primarily because of cost. And, you know, if you have a power outage or anything like that, you know, you're you're pretty much dead in the water anyway. I want to discuss some of the things that if we can all agree that open office is not for everyone all of the time, what are some of the guidelines that you would proffer in developing productivity enabling office design? What are the good principles that we should take into account as it comes to laying out an office? So this is somewhere I've actually had the obligation and honor of having to do many times in my career, which is we're going to open a new office and now we need to design the office. And in multiple cases, it's been an empty brand new building or a space that has been dilapidated to the point where now we're going to come in and in essence, take down all the walls or put up new walls or whatnot. And so we had the chance to do all of the build out in a lot of the offices that I've help to open. And I'll just I'll just start with the fact that I I really think about workflow of the organization, what needs to actually happen in those spaces, and always starting with the individuals who are going to be working in those spaces, not necessarily the exact person, although if you have a small company that could make sense, but more in, in the sense of the roles of the individuals and what they will need to do in those spaces. And more and more today, we're seeing that we can really identify what it is in terms of, of uh, patterns, movement, uh, therefore flow of the office space, but also what are the actual tools that people will be using and in which spaces, and therefore what needs to be where in the office when you come to it. Not everybody's going to have the chance to do what I've been able to do, which is come to an office space and completely design it from scratch. But you can make some of these minor modifications and really improve productivity just by thinking about, well, what are the roles in the company and or organization? And what are people needing to do in those spaces specifically? Yeah, see, that's where I go back to the whole argument about workspaces versus collaborative spaces, because, and I can't... I've worked from home office, I've worked in private offices, I've worked in cube farms, I've worked in what are called pods, where you've got four people in, in what is basically a giant cube. Um, pick the combination of configurations, and it all boils down to one thing. Unless the people around you are people you are working with on everything constantly all the time, you need some division from the others around you to be able to focus. It's just the way people are. And anybody who argues against that, I say, do this. Go into a room and take 10 radios or 10 devices and turn them all to different sounds, one being a podcast, one being music, one being a radio station, whatever. Turn them all on. Turn it on low, but turn them all on. Now sit there for eight hours and see if you can get anything done. Tell me that's not distracting. And that's basically the environment that's being created. So when we think about this idea of being able to have uh, workspaces to get work done, we have to have a provisioning to say, okay, we need to have a group be able to go and work on something for X amount of time. Now, we always think about those things as like conference rooms. Fine. Make them meeting rooms, conference rooms, whatever. 
that becomes a challenge of, of room management, which is a different problem entirely. But if you think that just by taking it down all the walls, you're creating this open collaborative environment, you're sadly mistaken. I mean, I've seen clients where they've done that and they've said, okay, we're going to put all our managers out in this open area. And what happens? All the managers wind up sitting in the same area. So now nobody wants to go over into that area because it's up to, they're up to their eyeballs and managers. So I get frustrated when I hear people say that we can create this environment and it will foster greater productivity. And they've never worked in it then. They're kidding themselves if they think that's the case. But you're right. If we're able to create collaborative spaces, places where they can go and focus, um, you see this a lot with Agile. You'll have scrum tables. You'll have scrum areas where you can go. You have whiteboards. You have stand-up meeting desks. You have displays. You can go in. You can meet. You can have your discussion. And then you can go back and get some work done. That structure works for a lot of people. It's when it gets carried to an extreme that it all falls apart. You make some really great points, and I, I agree with you on almost all of them. And the the reality is, is that I think the the most difficult part about open office designs is that they need to match the culture. And so many people in management, especially in the C-suite, think that they can modify culture by modifying spaces. And that's not how it works. People will modify the way in which they use spaces no matter how the spaces are designed. So think of it from the perspective of a well-worn path. A well-worn path is the path of least resistance, presumably, and it doesn't matter what the space looks like, people are going to use the, the paths that they're most used to using to getting from point A to point B, both from getting work, a work, getting work done perspective, but also what you talked about in terms of collaboration. So I'm much more like, I'm much likelier to spend time with the people with whom I'm comfortable than spending time with people that I'm not comfortable. And so it doesn't matter how you lay out the office space, you're not going to inhibit me from doing that. And more importantly, if you do it to such an extent that it makes it disruptive to my my well-being, I will leave the company. And that's what we see people doing in in you know these these types of environments when it becomes so caustic that the environment itself becomes untenable to work in, whether that be because of a coworker who sits next to you and blasts music or um, or just has a really weird appetite for foods that are smelly and gross. Uh, <laughs> I've actually I've I've had a I've had a client who who had to deal with something like that where it was just this kind of constant barrage of sensory overload and in a distasteful way because she was around people and she was fairly sensitive to those things notwithstanding. But, you know, even if she wasn't particularly sensitive, they were all just just constant, you know, uh, like just gross stuff. So uh, <laughs> it's just not good for people to have to go through that. Um, I, I wanted to I wanted to make one quick kind of corollary here, because one of the articles that I pulled up for us to to uh, read before beforehand uh, before recording, I'll, I'll put a link to this in the show notes, is called Library Rules, How to Make an Open Office Plan Work. And and again, this is from the 37 Signals uh, base camp folks. Jason Fried write, wrote the article. What he, in essence, said is that live chat rooms, real-time chat rooms like Slack and you know, all of these uh, hip chat and so on and so forth are, are basically open offices. And 
I am very much in agreement in that perspective that what penultimately happens is that the the loudest and most the most quantity the highest quantity speaker in slack or hip chat becomes the the rule maker by virtue of being the squeaky wheel and the same thing happens in open office spaces where because there's one particular dominant person in the room or maybe just a grouping of people as as art talked about having kind of a group of managers sitting in in a space that creates a power fluctuation that's that's kind of an imbalance in the space and that means poor decisions will be made there's going to be a less productive environment overall and it just creates problems so i think that we have a, a problem both in the physical spaces that we're talking about today but i also really want people to keep in mind that we have that same problem in digital spaces where this kind of digital open real time always on communication style is really impeding our personal productivity and therefore team and organizational productivity also diminishes because of that. Now, see, this is where I will disagree with you on there. And here's why is that I think now I won't disagree with you totally. Um, The digital spaces, I think, are the best alternative to dealing with these problems created by the open office movement. That said, part of it becomes a culture shift in getting people, and, and I'm dealing with this with a client right now who's doing a major deployment of Microsoft Teams, uh, is changing this mindset to what I keep calling thinking out loud, uh, to have those open conversations in the chat threads, in, in the messaging, to stop the one-on-ones and, and broaden it out so that people can interact and collaborate. Uh, the, the culture shift that has to happen is that if you've worked in one of these open office environments, often you see this structure. You see the open offices laid out, but around the perimeter are smaller offices that either get claimed by an individual, usually a high manager, or they have dedicated manager's offices because they need to meet with people privately. Well, that's great, but all you've done is created this open bullpen type of structure. That open structure coupled with this, well, you need to be at your desk eight hours a day, you might as well go back to the set, you know, to the, to the 19, early 1900s and just put sewing machines out there and do piecework again, because that's what you're doing. If you're going to have this kind of an open digital structure and allow people to interact in this virtual space, then you have to say, look, it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter if you're op- at your open office desk. It doesn't matter if you're down in the cafeteria. It doesn't matter if you're home. As long as you're engaged in getting work done and you're able to accomplish the goals and, and objectives set out for you, this is exactly what we want it to be. It's that class of, clash of cultures that creates this great problem in this space. You're right. Someone can easily dominate a virtual space as much as they can an open space. But I think that partially comes from this lack of understanding of how to operate in a virtual space. Physical, it's much easier to dominate because you're right. Somebody can have, you know, bring in last night's salmon and reheat it in the microwave. And all of a sudden they've basically taken out half of the office space. But in the virtual space, I think you can balance it more. But again, it's a cultural shift and it's a mindset shift that has to happen to allow that to occur. And I will I will just rebut that it's much more insidious in the open chat space. I think that if you have if you have really good policies in terms of how 
workflow should happen and how collaboration should happen in a virtual space, then, and again, I'm I'm not against all virtual spaces. I think things like Trello and Asana and so on and so forth are fantastic for being able to collaborate digitally and uh, as well as Evernote and, and, and many other tools like that that allow you to be able to, uh, you know, really share without having to constantly transact asynchronous messages like email. But the the reality is, is that in a real-time chat space, you do have to have a pretty good understanding about how to be appropriate with staff so that when people are off, quote unquote, off the clock, even if they're salaried, then they're not being felt like they're, they have to be always on. And if they don't get in their thought before the squeaky wheel gets their thought in, then poor decisions, poorer decisions get made by the organization. So there's a, I, I'm, I think I'm in agreement with you that I think that if there's, if there's, if it's appropriately addressed and properly used, it can be great. But if it, if it has real problems, like someone who's, you know, suffering from a mental health issue and not having the appropriate support from management and otherwise to really control the conversation, then it can really degrade uh, all around productivity. I couldn't agree with you more on the aspect of establishing, I almost want to say, social norms within the environment space, being able to say, look, I want to gather feedback. Everybody provide your feedback by such and such a date and time, and then we'll act on it from there. That's that's an early learning curve that has to go into play with this. And you're right, most organizations don't think about that when they deploy this type of technology. They say, hey, here's the tool set that you've got. Be useful with it without thinking about how do all these pieces come into play. So definitely agree with you there. Yeah, I think there's something so, so brilliantly simple about saying this is an asynchronous meeting about this topic. So we're going to put time boundaries on it. We don't have to have, you know, it's great that we can have this real time chat, but we're going to talk about this topic and everyone will have the opportunity to to discuss this in this time period, and then there's a, a time boundary associated with it. It just ha- doesn't have to happen in real time, and therefore the the first person to the gate doesn't get to you know really control so much of the tenor and style of the operation of that particular topic. And I've just I've just seen it over and over again now in various Slack channels where you know the the um, the person with the dominant and uh, most volume of messages ends up drowning out really good ideas and uh, steers the conversation in, in the wrong way. So it really does take management and uh, appropriate policies and, and good culture uh, to be able to to have a, a good experience with real time. Especially, into, uh, you know, again, our, our lens is personal productivity. I'm not particularly, you know, looking at all of the avenues, but certainly from a productive environment, um, it's important there. Yeah, but yeah, I was going to just um, modify something you, I think you had said before about this not affecting culture or uh, something to that effect. But I, I wanted to, to, to have our listeners sort of be aware that it, it can't make a culture, but it can break any culture. So you can, you can make a mess of any company, any environment, any culture that you want by putting in place the wrong policies, but you can't make a great culture from having the right policies in place. At best, you can make it a a neutral possibility, but you can ruin anyone's concentration and therefore anyone's productivity by putting in a lot of bad things. So this sort of makes it a a matter of making sure that the bad things don't happen. 
But anyway, I have a, I had the um, the privilege of teaching people in my one day training that they need to be managing themselves so that they can focus. And we talk about open office environments as well. The challenge is that usually I'm not talking to the decision makers. I don't think I've ever talked to the decision makers, actually. (laughs) Usually I'm talking to people who are neither in HR nor do they have any influence. And by the end of the day, they're usually riled up at the idea of getting rid of either the open office that they're stuck in or other distracting nonsense that somebody has thought was a really good idea. Um, case in point, there's one company that I worked with where they, they put birds to fly in the auditorium. And I won't tell you what happened next, but these were wild birds. and They did what they did. But anyway, they have a problem when they go back to the office because they either have to convince HR or the CEO or some other sponsor that something has to be done about the productivity uh, related to the layout of the office. And they usually are not successful. And I put that down to a lack of training. And I think it's true in general that even if you have all of the right desks and tables and environment and all of the physical stuff in place, that without the proper training at all the appropriate levels, you can still make a hash of it. So for me, I think the training comes first before even changing the physical environment because without it, people won't make the most of it. They'll, they'll see the desks, the tables, they'll see their personal cubicle, but they won't translate that into an opportunity for hyper-productivity unless they have that frame of mind beforehand. And that's, that, that, that's where I would start. It's a little bit different. Uh, I, I definitely agree with you with the training, but I also encourage them. I would love to see them just observe Stop looking at all these, you know, paid consultant studies about why this is so good and just do some basic observation. Like, for example, walk through their cafeteria and look at the number of people who are sitting in their cafeteria working on, oh, I don't know, stuff they should be doing at their desk. Why are they sitting there than at their nice desk that you've provided them? What's compelling them to find a new location? And ask them and, and try and figure out, you know, is it an issue that they just, they work better if they break up the routine, they break up the structure a little bit, or is it the fact that they just cannot get the work they need to get done at their desk? So I want to go through some of the, the things that I, I think people should be taking into consideration. And, and again, we've been kind of talking on a more macro level, but I, w- I want to give some some sort of practical thought here in terms of even if you are not the the management in your office, there are things that you should consider when it comes to the office space. We've talked about digital spaces, obviously, and, and, and figuring out how to deal with digital spaces. One is dealing with distraction, turning off notifications, that kind of thing. But remember that there are so many other qualities of how your either company or home office should be uh, designed. And even if you don't control all of it, you can certainly control some of it. And so think about the perspective of what's the what are the different types of working modalities that you have throughout your day? Do you need a space where you can do uh, very high focused, you know, solo work where you need to, you know, be secluded in order to make that kind of work happen? Uh, do you need to do do you like to work on writing in a cafe with people mulling about you and that kind of thing with your favorite caffeinated drink, 
what are the what are the different ways in which you like to work and best work and can you make those those environments happen in your current workspaces? And if not, how can you make minor modifications to make that happen? Consider air quality. Air quality is actually a really uh, big air quality and light quality. Uh, so it's not just the amount of lighting, but the type of lighting that is being uh, you know presented to you. So for example, fluorescent lighting typically has a very uh, low refresh rate. So that means your eyeballs are seeing uh, lots of flashes and the less flashing, the less your eye has to adjust and therefore less strain. So air quality, obviously you want it to be a cleaner air quality than not. And, uh, and then as we talked about noise and uh, odors and uh, room temperature, for example, you might have control over some of these and not all of them, but maybe if you're always you know, really cold, and you work better when you're warmer, you need to get maybe a space heater under your desk if HR will allow you to have it or a sweater or something like that, or, or a lamp. Sometimes, you know, the, these lamps have little heater uh, heating bulbs where the bulb by itself just produces enough heat to uh, warm up your space. So think about all of those things, not all of those things, but just the ones you have control over for example, color. Color can have a lot to do with your productivity. So maybe you want to, if you feel more productive in a blue environment, maybe you put up some blue artwork or some, or change your uh, desktop background to to blue or those kinds of things. I particularly like green because of the environment. It just naturally calms me, and since I'm fairly anxious as a as a working as a as a personality style. I like to just have a lot of green around me because it just helps reduce my anxiety. Plus the, the foliage in the room helps to clean air quality. And overall, it helps me be more productive. And that's really what it's all about for me. So any any other suggestions for, for folks who are trying to make their spaces more productive within the space and environment that they have? Yeah, I, I, I ran into a study in the early 90s by Tom DeMarco and Tim Listo. And it had to do with programmer productivity. And I, I, I offer this as a quiz in my, my training where I ask people, guess what the number one predictor of a programmer's productivity was according to this study? And I have them guess all kinds of crazy stuff. And the, the answer happens to be floor space. The most productive programmers had more floor space per programmer than any other in the other companies. And the floor space translated into the ability to control their environment. In other words, if you had more floor space, you're more likely to have a door and to have uh, walls. You weren't in you weren't in an open office environment. In other words, um, so having hard data like that and showing their management that or your management that your office is becoming more about knowledge work than it is just kind of pushing widgets. And that knowledge work has a particular kind of requirement. And, and then doing exactly what Art said, observing that I stay home and I know people who have taken sick days that they, when they're not sick, just in order to get work done, or they come in early or they leave late or they come in on weekends or they come in on holidays, but any way in which they can be productive. But the point is to sort of observe what are the elements I need to be productive where can I find the science to back that up? Where can I show that I'm going to need more of it in the future? And so do my colleagues. And then present it as a case to 
those who are in decision-making capacities who are all usually in their own office and don't know what you're talking about when you're talking about that the, that the office is, is unproductive. So there's a whole change management aspect to this that I think most companies have to go through in order to make the shift. I mean, there, you're absolutely right, Francis. There is definitely a time to work together. And then there is a time to work as an individual. And especially in the knowledge workspace, you cannot work together all the time. It just doesn't work. People don't work that way. They're not wired that way. They need opportunities to peel away from the rest of the group and concentrate on what they need to get accomplished. And it's that, it's that dichotomy between the terminology of focus and collaboration that seem to create the greatest number of problems in, in this model and in this strategy. And you're right. When you ask somebody as an executive, you know, does this work? Oh, yeah, it works great. Look, all my people are so busy. You might as well say, yes, all my serfs are doing so well. They are, they are tilling the ground for me. It's that kind of mindset. It doesn't indicate that any actual work is being accomplished or anything successful is happening. There is a split in that thinking. And you have to look at the individuals and say, okay, how do you work best? And provide them those options. I'll take this even to an extreme. There's a concept in the open office model or movement called hoteling, where literally you don't even have a space for yourself. All the spaces are common. You bring your machine, your laptop over, you plug in, you work at a spot. When you're done, you take your stuff and you go home. You leave nothing behind. Anyone can use that spot at any time. It is truly to this, the extreme of this idea. Because now, from a resource management perspective, from office space, this is great. I could put twice as many people in here if they're floating around doing meetings and things like that. If I'm thinking about the individuals, though, do you really want to live out of your backpack? Because that's what that's setting, up, setting you up to do. You couldn't even leave a coffee mug behind. You had no identity. You get to go into a space that you have no idea who used it before you. You know, we go back to that, you know, shared space interacting with people. These are coworkers. These aren't family. These aren't friends in many cases. They're just people you interact with occasionally. Not having a, for lack of a better term, not having a home can be very jarring to people. Yeah, I would immediately leave that company. I would not be able to do it. And I know some companies that do do that, do do hoteling, and I could never, never work there. I just really couldn't. You know, the, the idea that you find me so unvaluable that you could just kind of shuffle me to to fight for a spot and i'm not i i genuinely have a pet peeve about having to like even when i walk into a cafe i don't like the whole process of quote, quote unquote like claim, uh, claiming my space at a at a cafe table uh, like i just i don't like any of that idea i like for there to be a spot that's mine you know, that's been predetermined and that's the spot I will go to and I will work there. And the consistency and the stability of that makes me more productive. I go to the same cafes and I go and sit in the same spots every time because that's that's the way our brains work. They like the space in which we are most comfortable being in and we we gravitate toward those. So the idea of of that constant volatility in people's ability to get things done is is detrimental to their overall ability to actually get things done, and um, so we are we are coming up on time. And I I want to just um, make one final thought in my notes here. I I I'm 
um, I had had a note here about ergonomics, and I just wanted to explain that if you have control, especially if you are in an open office layout, but this really makes sense in any office environment, I would always offer to people to think about ergonomics in terms of uh, your line of sight to the different things you're looking at. For example, if you work predominantly on a computer screen or some kind of display today, you should make sure that you are within a foot to a foot and a half, um, or I'm sorry, two feet to about two and a half feet uh, distance from the screen and making sure it's the right um, you know, eye level for you and making sure your keyboard is at the right height, making sure that if you sit or stand, you are doing so in a way that fits your body type and the amount of strain on your spine. And, you know, there are just like all of these various ergonomics issues that when you do not take them into account, they can actually create long term stress on your body that can create uh, dis-ease and disease disability uh, long-term, uh, in the long-term. So really start to consider how you work with your body in terms of doing what for many of us is a, is a great deal of sedentary work today that our bodies were not designed to do. We weren't actually designed to just sit in one spot and click away at a keyboard. Our bodies were designed to be in movement and on our feet for most of the day. And now we are not doing that. And that has created some, some problems and so or challenges for us. So how do we back ourselves away from that? Is it possible to get, say, a Veradesk? I'll put a link to that in the show notes so that you can elevate your workspace to a higher spot so you can stand for maybe part of the day and you don't have to stand the whole day, but you know, just kind of giving yourself maybe an hour or two at a time where you stand. Maybe you start for five minutes, work your way up to 15 minutes, 30 minutes and so on and so forth, giving yourself more of what would be natural for your body, uh, you know, in the development of our, of our biomechanics of getting used to the fact that our bodies are, are, uh, comfortable standing. It, it's a, it's a natural state for us to be, be standing. And the more you do it, the more your muscles and your various ligaments are all in the right spot and get a chance to, um, you know, be in a ready, productive space, right? You know, kind of like the ready state, uh, as they as they say in martial arts. And so if you're in that ready state, you're going to be more productive because your body's ready to, to take action. And that means you're going to your, your brain's going to kick into gear and all that fun stuff. Any any other final thoughts, gentlemen, from the perspective of office layout design, uh, thoughts for managers, thoughts for people who are being managed in an open layout environment and what they might do to be more productive. Then one last thing is it's sort of to emphasize what, what Art said about run experiments and just observe what happens is that the, the, the three sort of big bugbears that we've talked about in the, I guess the last few months are email meetings and open office environments or office layout, let's say. And it, it's, it seems that managers and executives don't think about these things long enough. They, in other words, they're, they're, it's like they're scoring own goals. They're s scoring against themselves by just making thoughtless choices. There's a, a company I'm aware of which just recently built this huge, beautiful 10-story building. And I'd been training some of the people who, who moved into that building, and they never actually brought in anyone to consider and talk about the office environment. It was just treated as if it were either a given or just matter of luck or luck of the draw. 
But there's these ways in which companies, if they could reflect in the way that Art described, could stop scoring own goals. When you look at these strategies that are put into place, typically decisions get made at almost a company level. They decide we're going to move to this open office environment and they don't consider that different groups work in different ways. If they want to be successful doing this kind of stuff, there are times that open office works. There are times that collaborative spaces works. There are times that private spaces work. If you provide all of those options and then as management say, work in the areas that work best for what you're trying to do then and give them the latitude to do that. You're going to, one, empower your people, which is what every manager says they want to be able to do. Two, you're going to give people control over their environment. They're going to feel like they they are actually valued and engaged in the process. But three, you're going to find out what works for what groups. I mean, if you've got a call center, you have to have people sitting in certain spots and handling certain things, and you have to build an environment that works for that call center. If you've got a bunch of software developers, a call center model doesn't work. Even though you may think that, hey, we bought this stuff in bulk and everything can look uniform, it can be pretty for when we do tours, you're not thinking about the type of work that has to be accomplished and the people who are doing it. Fantastic, fantastic. Thank you, gentlemen. And so this is bringing us to the close of this conversation for Productivity Cast about open office spaces. If you have a question or a comment about this topic or something we discussed, feel free to head over to the podcast website if you're not there. And we invite you to uh, go into the comment section, leave a comment, ask a question. Feel free to let us know your thoughts there at the bottom of the page. Uh, We'll be glad to respond if you want us to respond. Uh, Also there at productivitycast.net on the episode page, you'll find our show notes. And those include links to anything that we discussed. So like the articles and the Veridesk and so on and so forth that we discussed are linked there in the show notes. We have a transcript. So we have the transcripts for our conversations are there. And you can learn how to follow us on the website in your various and favorite podcast apps and so on and so forth. If you have another question that is not about today, about personal productivity, feel free to head over to productivitycast.net forward slash contact. There on the contact page, we have the ability for you to uh, leave a typewritten message that will send to us, or you can actually record a voice message through the little web browser uh, widget, and uh, it'll send us a voice message. Uh, so. Thanks to uh, Francis and Art for joining me here on this episode of Productivity Cast. Uh, that brings us to the close of the episode. Uh, thank you for listening to Productivity Cast, the weekly show about all things personal productivity. I'm Ray Sidney Smith. Take care, and here's to your productive life. Thanks, everybody. That's it for this Productivity Cast, the weekly show about all things productivity, with your hosts, Ray Sidney Smith and Augusto Pinaud, with Francis Wade and Art Gelwicks.